Spotify is a streaming music company with more than 50 million listeners. Whenever a user listens to a song, Spotify records that event and uses it as input to learn more about the user's preferences. Listening to a song is one type of event. There are hundreds of other type of events. Opening the Spotify app, skipping a song, sharing a playlist with a friend. All of these are events that provide valuable insights to Spotify. And these are not the only types of events that Spotify cares about. There are also events that occur at the infrastructure level. For example, a logging server that runs out of disk space. There are events that are relevant to all the users on Spotify. For example, a new album release from Taylor Swift. An event is an object that needs to be registered within a system. Since there are so many events on a platform like Spotify, delivering and processing them reliably requires significant investment. Modern internet companies are built by connecting cloud services, databases, and internal tools together. These different systems might respond to different events in different ways. Each system subscribes to the type of events that it wants to hear. Since there are so many events coming in, and they might be received at uneven bursts, a modern cloud architecture has a scalable queuing system built to buffer events. To put an event on the queue, the event publisher publishes that event to the queue. The event is then received by each subscriber. That's why queuing is often known as pub-sub or publish-subscribe. Igor Marovich is an engineer with Spotify, in this episode, he explains why PubSub is a key element of Spotify's infrastructure. And he describes the migration that Spotify has made from Apache Kafka to Google Cloud PubSub. If you like this episode, we've done so many other shows about cloud infrastructure, and you can find those episodes easily by checking out the Software Engineering Daily app for iOS. This is the easiest way to browse our old episodes and easily discover new topics that might interest you. You can upvote the episodes you like, and you can get recommendations based on your listening history. With 600 episodes, it's hard to find the episodes that appeal to you, and we hope that the app helps with that. If you're interested in contributing to the Software Engineering Daily app ecosystem, we're working on an Android app, we're working on a web front-end and we're working on a back-end recommendation system. So all of these software projects could use your help if you're interested. You can go to github.com slash softwareengineeringdaily and check them out. With that, let's get to this episode. Igor Matovich works at Spotify as an engineer. Igor, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff. I'm looking forward to talking to you about event delivery today. This is a fundamental component of Spotify's data engineering infrastructure. And I want to start off at perhaps a different place than event delivery and just talk about PubSub systems because this is sort of a prerequisite for getting into the meat of our discussion. And PubSub is a pattern that is useful in software architecture for reasons other than event delivery. So let's just start there. Describe why an organization particularly a large organization like Spotify, would need a pub subsystem? So I think there are a few different use cases. So one of the use cases that we had in the event delivery system is that we wanted to completely separate the producing side and the consuming side. So in case of the issues with actually producing, we would still, we would still be able to consume data and actually deliver it. And then also like the other way around, in case we're having issues with the consuming side, we still want to keep on publishing the messages so they would be buffered up somewhere in the PubSub system so we could actually consume them once the system is up and running on the other side. Uh, well, I should have, I should, probably should have asked this at first, but why don't you just explain to the audience who is unfamiliar with the term PubSub what a PubSub system is? So it is actually a system where you would, uh, well, publish the messages. They would be buffered somewhere. If you're using a cloud provider, then somewhere in the cloud. And then on the other side, you would just, well, consume them once 
you have the subscribers. And the idea is that uh, you would probably have one publisher and then multiple subscribers which would actually start consuming from, uh, from the stream. So, for example, in, in our case, we even if we do have multiple publishers, because every service from which we collect the data is publishing data, we also have uh, multiple consumers, but also different clusters of consumers. So one of the clusters, for example, that we're using is the one that is delivering data and which is getting uh, persisted to a... Uh, persistent storage and the other type of users are the actual the real-time users which every consume the same stream and they would essentially get the same data but they would use it to produce well a different result mm -hmm. and i remember the the pub sub pattern being a little confusing to me when i started software engineering and you know i think as an example in spotify might be like if a person let's say a, a user plays a song, they just play a specific song or they play a playlist on Spotify, that event, want, you know, you at Spotify, multiple uh, teams are going to want to know that that event occurred. So you've got, uh, first of all, you know, you've got just like the infrastructure side where, you know, the event occurs and maybe you need to serve up a playlist or perhaps update a playlist or just update the number of plays that a playlist has received. And then you also want that event to propagate to the data science team, the data engineering team, so they have it saved and can do all kinds of analysis in the future. But more abstractly, you just want a system where multiple people can have access to this single data source. That is kind of the, the root abstraction of the PubSub system. So what are some of the, the systems and the services that are built using different pub subsystems at Spotify. Why is this a core abstraction to a large organization like Spotify? So I think that's an interesting question, but before I actually give you the answer, I need to tell you the pub subsystem which we're using to deliver data is a completely different compared to the pub subsystem which is actually used for like distributing events inside of the services in Spotify that you just talked about. So the difference is because basically these two pub subsystems have a, a kind of different requirements. So the one, the, the one pub subsystem that needs to react to every user and then also kind of probably publish some of the updates to many clients needs to actually have a, a lot of topics in it and it needs to handle it with a low latency. The one pub subsystem that we're using uh, for the event delivery has a bit of... Um, different use case in the sense that we don't have as many topics and we're not as sensitive we're not as sensitive for the latency so the system which is used for the services is being used uh, as you said like uh, uh, for the playlist team or by the playlist systems but it's also being used for the connect so this is when you actually play music from your phone that you're actually able to control your speaker, that you're all able to control your Chromecast. Uh, I don't I think like, what's the name? Go, uh, Google Home or like Amazon Alexa and stuff like that. So because of that, it is a one of the well core components of how we do stuff or like what we provide to the users. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now that we've given a little bit of an intro for PubSub, let's talk about event delivery. What is event mm -hmm. delivery? What does that term mean to you? Because I've been working on this for the past two years, it, uh, it means quite a lot to me. So essentially, what event delivery means is that we need to know when the user plays a song, when the user creates a playlist, saves a playlist, and... I don't know, many different reasons, and we need to collect them and put them in a uh, place where it would be convenient for other teams to do data processing on them so we could actually learn more about our users and we would be able to provide uh, good music recommendations and stuff like that. But it's also one important thing is basically based on all of these streams, we're also generating royalties, which essentially are generating revenue for all the artists that upload music to Spotify. Could you give some examples of specific events in the event delivery system? Well, I mean, definitely playing a song is one event. 
yeah, I mean, that, that would be a, the basic event for Spotify. But it's also like user clicks, ad clicks, and that kind of stuff. Got it. Okay. And we've got some different kinds of services that can generate events. So there might be an external API request. So if, you've, if you're on uh, an iPhone and you're using Spotify then that's going to make an API request to some service at Spotify. That's going to generate an event. There's also internal services like some sort of processing event or you know, maybe you're checking some music for DRM. That could generate events from internal systems. How does the event consumption process or the event generation process how does that differ between internal services and services that are using an external API? I would say they're they're actually pretty the same. I mean, the main thing is like something have happened that you want to track later on, and then you just generate the event. And then wherever the event gets generated, the interesting part, it actually always talks to the API of our event delivery system. We also have a service. And that's pretty much it. And from our perspective as event delivery team, we don't distinguish them as much. Okay. Let's bring these two concepts together, the pub subsystem and the event delivery idea. So mm-hmm. an event gets created in, in any context across Spotify's footprint, whether it's on a user's app or on Spotify's internal infrastructure, and that event gets published somehow, and then somebody is going to consume that event elsewhere. Give us an overview for the abstraction of an event and how it gets conveyed from the publisher to the subscriber. So uh, the first step, as I already said, is that it actually needs to reach one of the microservices, which is, well, you could call it a gateway for the event delivery system, We actually then take and translate the event from a, well, tab-separated format or a JSON format, and we uh, convert it to the Avro, Avro bytes. From them, we just publish it to a pub subsystem, and that's pretty much where the publishing part finishes. Other parties like every of those events are now living in one of the pub substreams. Each event type gets its own topic. And then on the other side, we have consumers, which are consuming that event and delivering them to a uh, temporary location. So this might be a bit more technical, but uh, here is the interesting part. All the events which are being delivered to a storage in Spotify need to be bucketed into hourly buckets. So we also have a system which is tracking how far did we get with the hour and could this hour be complete. Once it detects by some heuristic that the hour can be complete, we have a uh, MapReduce job which takes the uh, events from the intermediate storage belonging to an hour, deduplicates them and then finally writes them to a their final destination. And that's pretty much the end of the process and then we could actually have a lot of consumers starting to consume the data processing it and of course producing more data and so on the reason i reached out to you is because you wrote this three-part series on a migration of the event delivery system so originally you were using this kafka uh you were using a system using kafka and it was pretty complicated and over time you audited some other pub sub options and you came to the conclusion that Google pub sub was the right way to go so i'd like to talk about evaluating your own well first of all i guess constructing your first event delivery system that existed at spotify when spotify was growing and just building out its infrastructure the v1 infrastructure and, uh, and then we'll talk about the shortcomings of that event delivery system. And then we'll, we'll get into the migration to Google PubSub and why Google PubSub was a useful system. So let's talk about the historical infrastructure. Why don't you give an overview of what Spotify's infrastructure looked like 
at the point of creation of the first event delivery system? Like, I guess I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about the timeline. When did you first build that event delivery system, and and what did Spotify's infrastructure and the and kind of the the requirements for that first event delivery system look like? So I can actually give you as far as I know. So I've been in Spotify for. Well, right now, I think it's almost exactly four years. So the first event delivery system actually predates me. And I'm not really sure how everything looked before that. So when I joined, this was a part that uh, Spotify didn't have a monolith. We had a lot of uh, microservices and everything was written in Python. So important thing was like all the events first would actually be written to syslog. And then somehow they would need to be delivered to Hadoop. So the first event delivery system that uh, Spotify ever had was just uh, SCP, which would actually copy the hourly log files into a Hadoop so people could use them. So I think it was at some point pretty obvious that this doesn't really scale. Problem was that the SCP was having some really nasty like crashes, and it would be really hard to understand did it work? Did the pop, uh, uh, did the file was actually copied correctly or not? Was there any corruption in between, and um, so on and so on? And this is how the team, uh, then the event delivery team, decided to actually build the second version, which was based on Kafka. So this second version is the one that we actually that I described in my blog post, and this is the one from which we actually started migrating from. I think the biggest uh, drawback with this version is that we were using Kafka 0.7, which didn't have the persistence like Kafka 0.8. So essentially, we tried to use the system as a PubSub system, but we were not doing that because we were not keeping any state in between. So we were depending on the data being delivered to HDFS first, or, well, Hadoop file system first, and then sending the acknowledgement back to the beginning of the pipeline so we would know that something was transferred. So was the earlier version of Kafka, I guess the 0.7 version, was that more of a, I guess, a less reliable persistence model, or you could not set as flexible flexible as a, of a retention policy no i think it was actually not having the this persistence so it was pretty much like a run through buffer because the brokers which you had in the cluster they were not in the same cluster so the data they actually had was actually always stored only on one broker so if one broker dies you lose that data completely which kind of made it not safe to actually store data on the broker cluster. And that's why you actually need to first deliver it somewhere where we know we're not going to lose it before saying it's delivered or not. I see. And and this is kind of getting off topic, but what did Kafka do to ensure that messages didn't get lost in those days? So here is the trick. It didn't do anything. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so the when we actually, I think we were halfway in the migration and uh, we actually looked at the system and we actually figured out we didn't need to use Kafka at all. We could just send an HTTP request to some server somewhere which would actually write it to a file and send an acknowledgement when, it, when the event was written to a file. So there was a lot of complication and not gain. We didn't get any gain. It it felt more like it, Kafka at that days, like early days, was really cool technology that we should use, and uh, I guess that's that's what they did. Yeah, interesting. It almost sounds like it was more of an aspirational technology in those days, where people were saying, "Okay, we know it would be useful to build a really powerful open source pub sub replicated abstraction." But then maybe it got released to the open source community before it had kind of the necessary details to be totally bulletproof for uh, a system like Spotify for this particular application. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's still a good strategy. I mean, you should release uh, early and often. Of and course. I think they got uh, they got a lot of traction. I mean, I, I think they did a good job on that part. So when the second system was built on top of Kafka 0.7, they immediately wanted to migrate to Kafka 0.8. 
because with the Kafka 0.8, you actually got a persistence in the cluster. So mm -hmm. if you have three brokers, they share data somehow by some, I think it's, I, I know I forgot that one, but it was like some custom algorithm that Kafka implemented. So if one broker dies, it should actually keep the data and you should not lose the data. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Well, getting back to this architecture, um, getting back away, away from the in dissection of Kafka itself, Maybe you could tell a tell tell a bit about. I mean, so uh, you don't need to describe the whole architectural diagram. I, I looked at it, mm -hmm. and it's it was pretty complicated. The first one was pretty complicated, but maybe you could just talk a little bit about the operational burdens of running that first event delivery system, and and also I, I guess we've kind of glossed over this, but the goals that it was trying to accomplish. I mean, context in that context, I think at that time you were doing things like running some Hadoop jobs and I don't know what else you wanted the event delivery system to be able to uh, interface with, but just talk about operationally your, what your goals were with the event delivery system and what the operational burdens were. So I think the main goal was to deliver the data. Well, that was pretty much it. Operational burden was pretty big. Because if you have like many data centers, for example, we had a lot of networking problems between them. So because Kafka didn't store any data on it, and we did, we actually depended on every event first going from one data center, for example, in US, to the Europe data center, be delivered to Hadoop, and then send the acknowledgement back. So the problem is like if you have any problems with the network link, if you have a high latency, then the whole system is really slow and unreliable to work with. And you would sometimes get a really nasty loop of failures. So for example, if it's slow, but your timeout is not good enough, or like your buffer is not good enough, like everything explodes. Huh? We've also had uh, some fun issues with the actual disks. So I think two years ago, we hit a nasty BIOS bug, which actually caused CPU to think it is overheating. So when the BIOS would actually detect a CPU as overheating, it would completely dial, up, dial down its own, um, what you call it, like a pace with how, how fast the CPU works. And then you would actually get a machine which is kind of working, but it's almost dead. Mm. So, and then the interesting part was that if one machine from the cluster is not working with the full speed, all of the other machines are also, for some reason, really, really slow. I think to actually discover that incident, it took us like almost three days of like no sleeping and like oh. trying to make everything work. So it was, it was not that fun. We also had uh, a lot of uh, problems with the way we were delivering data. So back, back then, we did not want to accept any late data at all. So all the data would need to be delivered, and we would block until we ensure that everything is delivered. But then again, we have around, I think, at that point, we had around 1,500 servers from which we were delivering data. And then, like, servers would die at least weekly. And then that would also ensure, like, entail that we need to wake up in the middle of the night, go and expect the server, and we say, oh, well, the server is dead. Now we, well, need to manually say, well, let's process the data and let's continue working on Um I guess I mean I can't remember now out of my head, but there were there were quite a few issues with this system. Mm. So were there issues with maybe a lack of resiliency to the failure of any single component? Like it sounds like if if one part of it failed, then you could have some catastrophic outcomes uh, across the entire system. Yeah. So I mean it's. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it was more like design issues, which were baked in into the system, more than like other uh, other component problem. Like, I mean, Kafka was well working okay for what it actually needed to do. So, as you were deciding to migrate to a new system, what were what was going through your head? What was the motivation to migrate? Definitely motivation. So uh, at some point, we had a um, 
doomsday clock, we did some calculations about how much capacity can we push through the pipeline. And at some point we figured out, well, if we actually grow as fast as we were growing back then, we're not going to be able to deliver the data in the SLA that we've set before. So I think that was the main motivation. Huh? Other motivation was also, I guess, kind of modernizing the system and changing a design a bit. So being on call would not be a punishment. Huh? Basically, we would uh, be able to have like nice nights or even go out when we are on call be- without us being like paged that we need to do manually do stuff. What were the requirements that you had for the new system that you were going to migrate to? So, uh, number one requirement, it uh, needed to deliver data with the SLA, which is as good as the previous system or, or lower. So, currently our SLA, that all the data needs to be delivered in another six hours. The other requirement is, was that we should not lose any data at all. And this is because we're um, delivering data from which we actually generate the royalty payouts. And we also had a uh, requirement that we need to prove that we're not losing any data. Mm-hmm. You need to prove it. Yes. How would, how would you prove, how do you prove that you're not losing data? So how much data gets in, that's how much data gets out on the other side. Oh, okay. So you're saying like in the inter in the intermediary, was what, what, and what are we, what exactly are we talking about when when uh, entering X, you need to not lose data? Are you talking about the queuing system? Yeah, it's a queuing system, but it's more like I mean the the overall thing. Uh, if you're actually sending acknowledgments before you, for example, publish it, you're losing data. You're probably going to lose the data because you might drop it before you publish it. Or like once it actually enters the uh, like PubSub system, you also need to be sure that it's not losing data anywhere. But also the way you're consuming data, the way you're deduplicating data, you also need to ensure that you don't have any bugs which are actually going to uh, drop randomly your events. So you're referring to the acknowledgement of receiving data so if you have a in in distributed systems oftentimes when you send a message to a recipient the recipient is this the recipient needs to acknowledge the receipt of that message because otherwise the message might get lost in the ether and neither side and then both of the sides are confused because you know if if user a send if alice sends a message to bob and bob and alice does not get an ack then Alice doesn't know if the message was received or not, unless she knows that Bob is going to send an ACK acknowledgement whenever he receives a message. Of course, what you're saying here is that this system that Alice would be sending a message to, to Bob, uh, if it's somewhat unreliable, then you need to, not only Bob needs to receive the message, but he needs to fully process it and perhaps send it to all of the subscribers to his channel before he acknowledges to Alice, okay, I received the message and I passed it on to all of the recipients' acknowledgement. Well, I mean, it's more like if we know that Bob actually persisted the message safely and it's going to be able to send it to all of the, well, subscribers, then it sends the acknowledgement. We don't really require the subscribers to consume the message, Ah, of course, because the durability is 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 enough of a guarantee that it will make it eventually to all the people that have subscribed. Yes. So we're talking about now migrating the queuing system and other elements of this event delivery system. Let's focus on the queuing system. When you're evaluating the queuing system, I, I think you've already talked about the requirements, but maybe you could reiterate the requirements. Uh, in a discussion of your options for the new queuing system. Uh, what were the different options that you had available at the time, and how did they fit with the requirements of that new queuing system that you wanted to have? 
So we actually didn't uh, look at that many options. So we definitely wanted to go with Kafka 0.8 at that time because we were already having Kafka clusters in production and there were already some teams like the monitoring team which were using Kafka 0.8 in production. So the requirement is that whatever we used uh, as the queuing system or like a PubSub system, it should not lose any data and we need to be able to guarantee that. So one of the interesting things that we actually noticed with Kafka is like it did seem to lose data in case like uh, some brokers would actually get restarted or like they would randomly somehow go out of the cluster or uh, I don't know. I mean, we didn't really investigate as much, but we also I think the last job that uh, that actually made us not choose Kafka in the whole of the when we were actually considering was the mirror maker. So what this component should have done is like it should have mirror data event by event or like message by message between two clusters into different data centers. And it should actually do this reliably in, uh, in the face of um, not as reliable network links. But what we actually figured out is the way they actually implemented the mirror maker, it would actually first consume uh, the data from one cluster, send the acknowledgement back to the other cluster, and then try to send it to the, the destination cluster. And then, of course, like in case you're restarting the mirror makers, in case you're having a network issues, the data gets lost along the way. And I think this was like... Um, a big shock and like I would say one of the biggest reasons why we did not went with Kafka or why we actually stopped evaluating Kafka. Talk more about what you ended up evaluating instead of Kafka. So instead of Kafka, so back back in the days, around two years ago, we actually as a company decided to start moving into a cloud and as a cloud provider of our choice, it was a Google Cloud. Google Cloud came with a Cloud PubSub, which uh, at that day, it actually, I don't know, it was actually a scary um, choice because at that day, there was no company of our size or even of any size that we knew about that were using it in production. And also it was still in beta. But after actually having done some tests, like the load tests and also kind of looking if the data gets lost along the way, uh, we decided to proceed with it. Spotify is a pretty big company. I imagine you have some clout. Were you able to talk to Google about what work they had done with PubSub, whether they were using it internally and had tested it at Spotify scale? Yes, so we actually have a pretty good relationship with them and we did meet with the team and we did talk about it. So it, it did uh, turn out that it is built on top of their internal component, which they've been using for years. How big, how big um, users they have, of course, I mean, we don't know because that's a confidential thing. But, well, I mean, we were kind of happy with the answer and I think... More happy, uh, we were more happy with the tests that we did than the answer that we got because, of course, you're not really always 100% honest when you're trying to sell something. <laughs> I mean, right. What kinds of testing did you do to audit the Cloud Pub sub product? So it was more like just spinning a lot of publishers and, well, try to publish as much as we can and seeing uh, how is it going to work out. And then there was also a test like trying to spin up as many consumers as we can so we can actually consume the backlog. And also like, well, publishing a certain amount of data uh, and seeing that we're also going to get all the data on the other end. I mean, that test, like to see if the PubSub is losing data or not losing data was like kind of so-so, but as far as we got, I mean, we got insurance that, well, they're not going to do the, lose the data. And we kind of, well, went and, and trust them on that. And then, of course, like we did prove it with our audit system that we have today on top of our event delivery system. I take it you wouldn't have audited the product as severely if it was something that 
a ton of people were using. For example, Kubernetes today, you probably wouldn't feel the need to spend a week auditing it for the things that everybody says it's useful for. Hmm. Or correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe oh. you would. Maybe you would audit it with with some severe testing. Yeah. So maybe not as severe, but we will definitely give it a try. I know there is a a team using Kubernetes today, and uh, well, I mean, of course, like when you're using it on a scale and you're actually working with it, you always kind of find some kind of issues which are annoying or not. <laughs> but it's more like, do you actually have another choice? What What would you do if you had another choice? So, for example, in the case of the, uh, well, data scheduling team, which is building their system on top of Kubernetes, seems like the migration at this point, like to go to go for a mesosphere or something like that, might be too costly and it actually would not give uh, the benefit they would hope for. So, I don't know. There were also operational advantages to outsourcing this, the maintenance of well, maintenance may not be the right word, but the uptime, at least, uh, of the cloud pub subsystem. Certainly, in contrast to, I think, what was the, what was the um, the earliest the earliest event delivery system, where you were, you know, all just manage, managing it all in your own data center. You were managing Kafka. How does that operational advantage manifest? Like, what do you explain? How the operational burdens shift? from Spotify to Google when you are using a cloud service? Yeah, so here is an interesting thing. Uh, when you're actually using a service, you, don't, uh, you, you do not need to take care of your machines. You do not need to like recycle the machines that had disk broken, that actually went like crazy for some CPU or something like that. You don't need to upgrade the operating system on them. And also like you don't really need, in this case, to care about the networking between data centers, which traditionally was not as stable in Spotify. But then again, you kind of trade one evil where you actually, even if it's hard, you actually get complete control, trade it for something else. So for example, sometimes we actually get incidents. So you need to open up a ticket and then you're hoping that the other side is going to uh, take you seriously and actually start working on it and they're going to be able to find the problem. But then sometimes if you if they actually are not able to fix the problem the way you like it, you still need to kind of take some actions and try to figure out how to work around it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I would say it's nicer, but it's just a different kind of challenge that we're having now. Mm-hmm. The migration itself. What was that like? Put you know, going from the homegrown Kafka implementation, shifting it to a cloud service like Google Cloud PubSub. So I can tell you like this. I mean, we've we've been a bit special in the whole uh, GCP migration as a team because we decided not to forklift our stuff and move it into a cloud, but we actually decided to rebuild it. Huh? So there were many teams that decided to forklift their services because they were already in a good shape. And that I, I would say that was not as big challenge as you would might expect. And I think they didn't really enjoy it as much. But in this case, you kind of get a green canvas or like, I don't know, white canvas. You can do whatever you want. And you actually have opportunity to learn from the mistakes from the previous system and then build something that is going to build work and scale and like be better. Or at least you hope it's going to be better, of course. So I I would say it was it was not easy. There was a lot of things that we needed to figure out along the way, uh, but I think it was rewarding at the end. Okay, so after moving to Cloud PubSub, how does the event delivery process change? Like, maybe you could walk me through the before and after of what is happening when an event gets created and an event gets propagated to a consumer. So, one big uh, thing that we did with the migration is because it was actually a complicated system to rebuild, we decided to keep the API exactly the same. So our consumers and producers didn't see anything. So everything stayed the same, exactly the same for them. But for us, 
Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the old system is really, really complicated. And I don't think we have enough time. And I actually need my drawings and all that kind of stuff to explain how it did work uh, compared to the new system. So one big thing that we did with the new system is that we wanted to make it as simple as possible. So we would actually be able to understand what component did not work and what failed in the system when the incident comes. So you, why don't you talk about the the data jobs that run at Spotify? Because that'll get us into a conversation of the other Google cloud provider technologies that uh, you're leveraging. And I guess... Um, you know, I, I'd like to I'd like to use that as a as a way to get into a discussion of of cloud providers more broadly. So, explain the data. I know that most of the data jobs that run at Spotify, at least at the time of your blog post, were batch. But maybe you could just talk about batch versus streaming and what you're trying to accomplish with your data jobs at Spotify. So I think like most of the data jobs are still batch. And I think that's the meat of the data processing we are doing here, well, in Spotify. So what we're trying to accomplish, for example, like if you're having a um, real-time use case that you need to share the updates with the clients as soon as possible, or you want to actually provide like the users with a feedback as, as, as soon as possible, or you would actually want to improve the way you're serving the ads, then you would use the stream processing. Huh? But in case of the machine learning and actually um, all the other jobs in Spotify, you would still use batch. The general uh, idea is that basically if you want to have a good quality data, you need to use batch because there are teams which are actually caring about the quality of data. They're they're cleaning it up. They're also um, ensuring that everything as it should. And then you would know that once you consume it, it is the correct data that you're consuming. Mm -hmm. Google has this cloud service called BigQuery and I know that Spotify was on was using Hive for its I guess large scale batch data processing Hive is an abstraction on top of Hadoop basically you can write queries in Hive query language and it execute which is a high level kind of SQL like language and it executes as Hadoop jobs which are harder to write they take more code how does BigQuery compare to Hive so BigQuery was one of the big wins of the migration. So we're having many analysts in Spotify, which are, well, analyzing the data. And what they like is, well, they like to do SQL queries. They like to do ad hoc stuff so they could get the results faster. So Hive, the way we are using it, or we have been using it, it was like actually just something that we had, but wasn't as main maintained as it should. So all the queries that were actually being run on Hive were really, really slow. So when the BigQuery came, this analyst which were using Hive, which just writing the SQL queries, from like immediately got like a boost in productivity because one query that would actually take in Hive, I don't know, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, it would take like an order of seconds or like a minute uh, into a BigQuery. So I think that was that was a a really big gain uh, for us. Wow. Uh, but it's also like, it's it's not only that. I mean, the thing is like, we're also kind of uh, writing more and more data jobs, which are directly using the BigQuery, because sometimes it's simpler to uh, express yourself or like express your logic into a SQL query than actually writing the full-fledged data job. Mm. There's also Google Cloud Dataflow, which I believe you use. Explain what Cloud Dataflow is. So Cloud Dataflow is a managed well service in uh, Google where you can actually submit your jobs that would be written in Apache Beam and they would process the data. And one of the big promises is like you write the job once and then it could be executed in either batch or a stream mode. Well, truth is like it's not more like you you write a single job that can do two things. It's more like you know the tool and it's easy for you to write either a batch or a stream job. 
and on on top of Dataflow, uh, one of the things we've built is like it's called Shio. So it's basically Scala wrappings on top of Java, which are actually um, the way most of the people in Spotify is using Dataflow today. So, you know, one subject I've tried to understand uh, as I've done these shows is how interoperable cloud different cloud technologies are or if the benefits are so strong with you know using a single cloud provider that you kind of want to just use the same technologies uh, or sorry the same cloud provider for different technologies so here i see you using google cloud pubsub you're using google cloud dataflow and you're using google bigquery is that a coincidence or are you using it just because there are just really nice, well-defined APIs or integrations with these different technologies? I would say I, we've, we're mostly using it because we got a chance and there are a nice APIs that we could use. I, I think we kind of eternally did, well, in the team we talked like what would happen if we would need to migrate to another uh, cloud provider and I, I don't think it would be that easy. Because you would kind of need to learn a yet another API and kind of, well, change how your system is interacting with this API. And also kind of getting used to all the quirks that each system might have. Did you consider the AWS stack when you were looking at what PubSub technologies to use and the other cloud provider tools that you wanted to get into? Because I know, I know you... You want, you know, you're kind of looking at the different clouds and saying, okay, what technologies can we use if we go to cloud X or cloud Y? So when you looked at AWS, what made you just go to Google? So I I was actually not part of the discussions. Okay. Or like, it's more like there were, I think, yeah, I would call it like uh, higher level managers, which uh-huh. were actually the one evaluating why should we go this way and not the other way. In the blog post that are, well, VP, which, well, now left, VP of engineering, he actually said that one of the big reasons why we chose the Google Cloud was based on the big data tools. And the bet was that the Google was in front, many companies on the big data horizon. There were many open source tools that actually were spawned up or like spin-offs of the Google technology that were built internally. And, well, like, the bet was, like, they're probably going to be ahead for at least a few years ahead. Yeah, totally. It is interesting doing shows with those kinds of companies that are uh, loosely based or or tightly based off of Google Papers. Like, I've done some shows with CockroachDB, which is a database that's based on Google Spanner, and Google has Cloud Spanner also. So it's it's just interesting hearing the different perspectives on, hey, here is Google's cloud offering that is a productization of this thing that a paper was written about. And then CockroachDB says, well, you know, we built a product based off of that paper and it has different things. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's an interesting topic to explore. In this migration, what were the other big data engineering learnings that you had from making this migration? I think there were actually quite a few of them. So one of the things is like, for example, we did try to use Dataflow to consume the events in a reliable way. But well, one of the learning was like, it's not really that easy to do it with the Dataflow because of the nature of reliability and that we must not lose data and that we also need to be operationally responsible for for it 24-7. Um, other thing was like, for example, the way we've been, uh, working with Hadoop is not really something that could be just forklifted. If you're actually start to work with the cloud storage, even if you're actually having a, a library in between, which actually pretends that cloud storage is just like a Hadoop because of the non-atomic, uh, folder moves. We also had a, um, well, interesting thing that as a part of a migration, we also wanted to go away from um, scheduling our jobs with cron and actually building a full-fledged scheduler, which is going to give us more feedback where the job is being executed and like 
and like where is it running and also seeing the log data for it. Machine learning is so core to what Spotify does and how the product advances in quality. How much time do you spend with machine learning teams and how does the preponderance of machine learning within Spotify, how does that affect data engineering decisions? The sad part, I mean, I would I would like personally to spend more time with them, but unfortunately that's not the truth because I, my team and, well, some of the other data infrastructure teams are actually based in Stockholm, while the core of the machine learning is based in New York. So uh, there is not that much, like, mingling between us to, to actually see um, how the stuff are going, yeah, but I mean, we do talk a lot of machine learning and right now there is a lot of focus on, for example, making machine learning as easy as possible. We also have this uh, data university where we want to make data accessible to many engineers that are not data engineers in Spotify. So we could actually have them change their role and like go and try to do something with the machine learning a bit. Cool. Okay, well, to wrap up, maybe you could talk about the initiatives that are going on within the data engineering team right now, or perhaps how the event delivery system is evolving. So right now, I mean, the big uh, thing that we've been working on is like making sending events as easy as possible. So right now we have some library and it's like, it's, it's pretty complicated to send events. And we want to empower many of our um, engineers to be able to send as many events as they could. So we could actually be able to learn what our users want and need as fast as possible. The other big uh, thing that we have as a data engineering is also like right now the whole Google Cloud migration. So there is a large percentage of data jobs which are still being executed on a Hadoop cluster and we want them to be moved into a cloud. So this could be either like they would forklift them and run them on a, uh, well, manage Hadoop clusters in Google Cloud or they would just rewrite them by using Dataflow. I think that's the two, well, the, the, the migration path is the biggest thing that's been happening in data engineering right now. Is what it. All right. Well, Igor, I want to thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. It's been great getting an inside look at the event delivery system. And uh, I really appreciate your work because I use Spotify on a daily basis. It's a product that is, you know, a, a core component of my day-to-day life. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, well, for having me. And I'm I'm really glad to hear that you like Spotify and you've been using it. 